I'm telling you right now that Instagram has my ads to a science and they always recommend me the most amazing things, which is the most unfortunate thing because I don't want to spend money. So, <laughs> but every time I go on Instagram, I want to spend money specifically on this bread lamp. It is realistic looking bread lamp. It's a Japanese company. It looks like realistic bread, but it's a lamp. And I'm just saying that it may give me unlimited happiness. And I really want it. I really, really want it. <laughs> also, look at this fancy bread. It's a cute little nightlight. <laughs> Doesn't it look so real? Yeah, I think that good. would be the hardest part is that I'd want to eat it. Yeah, you'd want that kind of bread all the time. Yeah, then I'd just be hungry for bread. You're right, I can't get it. Welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy? I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. This week we're discussing chapter 38, Verity's Bargain. The beginning of this chapter talks about the invasion that we were discussing at the beginning of last chapter. How the war engines were moved to defend Buckkeep itself and the Red Ship Raiders were able to go on the Vin River inland from the sea and attack the inner duchies. This talks about that there was no more than probably 20 ships that made it up to towards Tradeford, but that the minstrels were very, uh, very, what's the word I'm looking for? Liberal with <laughs> their descriptions of terror and the hundreds and of ships and thousands of, raiders and everything like that but the author of this epigraph does say that the misery and terror of those days should never be forgotten if a minstrel must embroider the truth to help us recall it fully then let her and let no one say she has lied truth is often much larger than facts it's really interesting because it gives us the picture of it almost feels like a friend being like, well, this is what actually happened. Here's what I heard, but here's what actually happened. Mm -hmm. um, so I really like that it, it's telling you that it's not as bad as the last telling made it seem, but it was still bad. Like it, there's no denying that it was horrible and that people died and they shouldn't have. But at the same time, it's not quite so bad as the last epigraph would make it seem. But also it's it's a good thing to note that, well, the last epigraph was talking about Buckkeep Town. This is inland duchies. This is about the rest of the, the duchies. Right. But in this epigraph, it specifically says they would have you think that it's all blood and fire and it wasn't. Right. So the last epigraph talks about how basically all of Buck is burnt down and only a third of the people survive. So I don't know if that's still supposed to be true or. Yeah, I think that's still true. I think that the, this, that was specifically about Buck Duchy. This is about the inner duchies, which is a different part that isn't touched on in these books at all, except for this epigraph, because the last epigraph was talking about when they finally attacked Buckkeep and a third of the Buckkeep town people made it up towards Buckkeep itself up the hill. Right. And then they got through to the river and now it's talking about the invasion along that river. 
So I think they're they're two different events or two different parts that they're talking about. Speaking of minstrels, the chapter opens up with Starling. She came back with the fool when remember they were sitting out looking for regal soldiers and didn't explain why she had been in the watch, but no one questioned her either. Because they knew, at least Fitz is describing it, they all knew that they would stay and would stand and would fight to defend a stone dragon and they would die. Because they know that regal soldiers are coming and they cannot defend it long, but they will do the best they can. Because right now the, the dragon is not going to fly. Right. Verity and Kettle have both announced that they failed. And it ended on such a sour note last time with them being so exhausted from the Karis seed mixture that they are, that Verity and Kettle are both kind of passed out at this moment. And it's looking like nothing's going to happen, that this dragon will forever be done. Mm -hmm. So Fitz believes that they will stay, fight, and die, which is a very bleak outlook to have. It's very interesting that they are still... It's Fitz. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But it's interesting because this is from Fitz's perspective, so I do wonder if it's quite that dramatic in Starling's eyes. I don't know if Starling knows at this point that the dragon won't work. I think she was there when they announced, like, it failed, you know? So what she has to go on is just Verity and Kettle saying, well, it's not working. I'm pretty sure they were all at that scene. And then they were sent off to uh, for the, the watches. Right. Because it does it does mention that Fitz comes up to Starling later and she has like a bared knife next to her. Right. I think at some point it's a lot of this is Fitz's melancholy coming through, of course. Right. But I think there is kind of a finality in the scenes that he does describe. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I guess I'm just trying to say that it is from Fitz's point of view, so it is colored that way. Right. I don't know. I mean, I guess Starling does have her knife bared, so maybe she is also willing to fight to the death. But I don't know why she wouldn't just run. <laughs> I guess where do you go? You're in the wilderness. You probably wouldn't make it alone. That's true. And also she is, you know, she is uh, from Buck. This is her king. You know, there might be some sort of loyalty to that, or at least her tenacity to find maybe a story at the end of this. True. If this is her only chance versus running into the wilderness, like you said, might as well stay here. I suppose you're correct. Maybe Regal's people will find a minstrel and she can come back and make the song anyways. True. <laughs> Fitz also talks about how Ketrickin is sleeping as well. He stoops and kisses her forehead and says it was a farewell of sorts. Better to do things now, I had decided. Now was all I had for certain. And I thought that was really interesting because I don't know, it, it's such a gentle and intimate thing that, to like kiss somebody on their forehead while they're sleeping. He says it's like she was his child. And it's funny because she is older and also has been in charge for most of this. <laughs> Yeah, it basically describes him tucking her in, covers yeah. up with blankets, <laughs> kisses and, her on the forehead. But I think the line that I only have the now, so I have to do it now, is so interesting because it's like, 
is there feelings there where he knows that there's a little bit of romantic feelings he's having for her. So he's going to capitalize on that in this small way because he's going to die anyway. So he might as well. Or is this just like a, this is what I can do to comfort you sort of thing. I don't know. I think it's their second one, to be honest. I am of the belief that Fitz does have feelings for Ketrickin, but I don't think he'll ever admit them. I don't think that it's ever ever brought forth into his mind in a conscious way. He never kind of sees her in that light because of Verity. It's like a huge blocker for him. Right. So I think it is more so all I have is now because I'm going to die. Might as well say goodbyes now while I can. <laughs> I guess, yeah. Well, whatever the reason, he has said his farewells to her and he goes back to the campfire, the campsite, and sees Starling with her knife by her feet and she is playing for the fool and Fitz notes that it is a gift that the fool is giving her, that if their time is coming to an end soon, that the least he could do is sit and watch her and listen and not poke fun. So he leaves them there and climbs up slowly to the dragon. Night Eyes follows him and he sees that Verity and Kettle are still sleeping and he expects them to sleep for, you know, at least probably the full day because he notes when Chade took care of seed for two two days straight, he took like a week to recover. So he expects them to sleep a long time and doubts either would waken soon. But... Fitz, vowing to uh, watch over the king, falls asleep himself and then is woken up by the king. So Verity didn't sleep as long as Fitz expected. Motions him over to a direction and Fitz follows. Right. And to be fair, this was two people who drank a concoction that was not quite as strong. Mixed by kettle. So, you know, that it was weak. (laughs) It probably was pretty weak. I mean, I think it was more of a safe way to take it. Um, although it did still have the effect of kerosene where it gave them a ton of energy and then they dropped yeah. <laughs> as soon as they had no more. But I mean, the difference between that and Chade taking it for two days straight is right. kind of big. So <laughs> it's a little like, come on, Fitz, of course, they're not going to sleep for that long. It is kind of surprising, though, that he is up so fast because Fitz takes care of seed and I think just for like a day, just some seeds and then he's out for like multiple days. Or is that because he's also injured? I can never remember. I think it's because he's also injured. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because the last time he took care of seed was whenever he got shot in the back with a poisoned arrow. Maybe. I'm pretty sure. So, like, I don't think we have a very good grasp of what kerosene does he also i guess we don't know how long he was out between when he killed people before the dungeons because he also took kerosene then Mm -hmm. and i think he also took it when on his skill trial to return to buckkeep maybe i don't fully remember although they take little bits of keras seed once a year at their weird drug festival that they do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they have like the kerosene cakes. Spring fest, I'm pretty yes, sure. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Where everybody takes drugs. 
Just a little bit of a pick-me-up, you know? I suppose. So can't, I mean, I don't know. I guess, who knows dosages, but either way. They're just Verity, micro-dosing. <laughs> Verity is up and he is having Fitz follow him to talk. Mm-hmm. He cleared his throat. There is a way, Fitz Chivalry. His dark eyes, so like mine, met mine squarely. You are the way, so full of life and hungers, so torn with passions. I know, I said. The words came out bravely. I was more frightened than I had ever been in my life. Regal had scared me badly in his dungeon, but that had been pain. This was death. I suddenly knew the difference. My traitorous hands twisted the front hem of my tunic. You will not like it, he warned me. I do not like it. But I see no other way. I am ready, I lied. Only, I should like to see Molly once more, to know that she and Nettle are safe, and Beric. He peered at me. I recall the bargain you offered, that I would not take Nettle for the throne. He glanced away from me. What I ask of you will be worse. Your actual life. All the life and energy of your body. I have spent all my passions, you see. I have nothing left. If I could but kindle in myself one more night of feelings, if I could recall what it is to desire a woman, to hold the woman I loved in my arms. His voice dwindled away from me. It shames me to ask it of you. Shames me more than when I drew strength from you, when you were no more than an unsuspecting boy. He describes a little bit that he's, that Fitz is trying, is looking into his eyes and he can tell that Verity is trying to describe something with imperfect words because of the skill. Right. And I would like to say that I think this is Verity trying to explain that he's going to take over Fitz's body. Oh, 100% it is. Yeah. Uh, however, I don't think Fitz knows that that's what he's asking. No, Fitz thinks he's just going to take all of his whole life and throw it into the dragon. Yeah. And kill him. Which... Which Fitz still doesn't understand. Yeah. Either way. Either way is bad. I think it's really insincere of Verity to. Prior to this, say you don't know anything, you don't know what you're willing to give and then not explain anything. And I know that he thinks he's explaining in some weird way, but he's connected to Fitz in the skill. He knows exactly how Fitz what fits his understanding and he could easily say i'm going to take your body i'm going to take your place with your body you aren't going to die fits i'm gonna use you for a night i'm gonna be you for a night and he doesn't he goes around about way saying you know like oh i just need one more night of vitality and then maybe i could do this but you're not gonna like it and it's worse than taking it uh, take what you've asked and whatever and you don't understand i just i i hate this i hate everything about this because i don't think fitz is giving consent to this i don't think verity is asking for consent to this i think verity knows very well that fitz would say no and so he's would he weaseling i think he would, would. you think fitz would say no to that I, I, I don't like I don't think it, that so at all. If it was laid out plainly to him, I think he would say yes. I don't think he would mean it, though. I think like maybe he would say yes because it's his king and his king is asking. But like, I don't know. I don't like any part of it. I don't 
I don't think he would because I don't think he would want to have, even if it's not him, his body do anything with anyone besides Molly. Also, I just want to touch back on the skill connection. I don't think Verity is fully letting himself be connected to Fitz and has been blocking him since he got to the quarry. Purposefully, I mean, Fitz has described him blocking him out a bit. And it, we know it does take a little bit more effort than just being surface level connected to actually understand, you know, what you're doing. Right. Verity was riding in Fitz's mind while Fitz for a whole month was traveling to and thinking about continuously murdering Regal. And it only so happened when Fitz was in the room thinking of stabbing Regal that Verity's like, what are you doing? <laughs> So I, I feel like Verity thinks that Fitz understands because Fitz thinks he understands. I suppose. Because there's that conviction of like, I will do this. Even though I'm scared, I will do this. So Verity gets that kind of sense and he's like, okay. I, I don't know. Yes, he's in an addled state and yes, it's not full spelling out, but I just kind of wanted to put that I guess- in there. I guess you're right. It's not as nefarious as I'm making it sound. I just don't like that it is so ambiguous. And Oh, yeah, definitely. It's I, still a messed up situation. Right. I, I think my bigger concern is like with the experience of having Fitz full heartedly agree to something he doesn't understand at all, thinking he knows, like with the Kingsman situation where he drew strength. I like he I don't know. He should know better. He should know that Fitz just does whatever he says. And I don't know. I think there's a responsibility to Verity to know to not do that. And maybe part of it is that he is basically a forged person right now. And so like the part of his brain that would tell him why this is bad is gone. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the deal is, but, (laughs) but I hate it. And it, I don't know. It just, I think this whole section skeeves me out and so I don't like it. And so I'm being like extra critical, especially of Verity. But I do think it's like, I think Verity understands that he's not giving a clear answer and that's why he feels guilty. Yeah. And it, and he does say so to Fitz as well. Cause he says he met my eyes again and I knew how he struggled to use words, imperfect words. But you see even that the shame I feel the pain that I do this to you. Even that is what you give me. Even that I can put into the dragon. The dragon must fly, Fitz. He must. Verity, my king. He stared away from me. My friend. His eyes came back to mine. It is all right. But I should like to see Molly again, even briefly. This is, this is why I think that... Verity knows full well Fitz has no idea because why would somebody who's just giving up his body for a day insist upon making sure that their loved one is all right right before doing it that's something you do before death and the fact that Verity does this for him is like oh well I paid my part of the bargain but also doesn't recognize this as like clearly Fitz has no idea what I'm talking about it makes me so angry <laughs> because like, why wouldn't it be death? Why wouldn't it? Why wouldn't he think it's death? He, he has been told that they w- will cease to exist when they go into the dragon. That's what's been told to him that 
at any point, Verity could have pulled all of Fitz into the dragon and he didn't. And now Verity's like, I'm going to use, I'm going to take your life, my boy. Of course, he's going to think it's death. He's gone. He's going to be gone after this. So he has to make sure Molly's okay. But no, that's not what it is. And Verity at no points clarifies that. He's just like, okay, we'll see Molly one last time. Like, one last time? (laughs) I don't know. It just, again, I'm just very frustrated with this. It's interesting because it is definitely framed as Fitz thinking that he's going to die or being thrown into the dragon or whatever. But there's like that whole paragraph where Verity is talking about, I need one more day of stuff. So like there is the clue. There are the clues there. It's just, I don't know. It's so weird. Well, because Fitz is so focused on that belief and focused on, yes, I'm going to, I'm going to die because he was at the beginning of the chapter too. Right. I want to say that the first time that I read this, I for sure thought Verity was about to kill Fitz. And even after Verity took over, and it's clear that Verity took over, I'm waiting for him to come back to, like, take Fitz's life. And it doesn't, (laughs) even though, obviously, Fitz is a protagonist of a series, he's not going to die. But, like, I, the way it's framed. You say that now. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. (laughs) But I just don't understand how, like... I don't like even I reading this from Fitz's point of view for the first time with no knowledge of what was to come thought he was going to kill Fitz. You thought something would save Fitz from death. Right, yeah. But first like, time reading yeah. through. Definitely. So it's like I see, I see how Fitz gets confused and mm-hmm. would think that way. And so that I don't know. I guess that's why I'm like so mad. It's like, sure, knowing what happens next, I know that this is a like him trying to say, I'm going to take over your body so I can bang my wife. But like. Do you, think that, do you think that's on purpose by Robin Hobb? Yes, for sure. I mean, yeah, because... Right, no, I'm, I'm saying, oh. like, on purpose to make Verity a bit more opaque in this scene to mislead the reader so it's a bigger twist. Do you think it's true to Verity's character that he would do this? Or do you think it's a writing, like, tool? See, that's the hard part. I mean, I think this is purposefully done, obviously, because it is like we are the reader. We Mm -hmm. are supposed to be in Fitz's shoes. Like it's so hard to distinguish, though, like what could be and could not be. We could endlessly debate of like what degree is this obfuscating the fact of what Verity would do. Right. I guess maybe it is something Verity would do because we don't know Verity super well. We only know him through the idealistic eyes of a boy who is like in love with his uncle in, not in like a romantic way, just in like a familial way of like, this is my male figurehead that I want to emulate. So like already we have a skewed ver- uh, view of Verity. And yes, what he's doing is noble. But also I think I've touched on this before because we talked about how when he went to go on this trip, it was pretty selfish that he did that. And he made that decision and didn't talk to anybody really about it and kind of... I don't know. I think Verity is kind of an inherently selfish person, although he is noble in the way that he goes about it, which I don't know. Everybody has moral gray parts about them. So maybe this is very true to Verity's character. Maybe. Yeah. But I hate it. (laughs) I wish it wasn't. I wish he didn't do this, but he does. So and I guess in his own twisted way, he's like, well, this is a way to 
ensure that Fitz gets his way, that like I'm not taking Fitz's child from him. And I get—I mean, I guess but that's a way to do it, but it's not a nice way or a good way. <laughs> and so the bargain is struck and Verity whisks Fitz off to view the little cottage that Beric and Molly are in. Or the little room, I guess, the in room. Beric is injured from that fight. He was stabbed in the back. Right. And sleeping right now with Nettle in his arms. And Molly is tending to him, carefully sliding Nettle away and putting Nettle in the crib. Nettle seems fine. No worse for wear. Just kind of sleeping and dreaming. And Molly is moving efficiently about the room, taking up a folded cloth and trying to clean out Beric's wound. And as soon as she starts to clean that wound out, Beric wakes up, grabs her wrist as fast as a striking snake. And they have a little conversation about, oh, this has to be cleaned. Let go of me. And Pyrrhic's like, oh, it's you. <laughs> right. Which also, come on, Molly, wake him up. <laughs> Why are you? I don't know. Whatever. Don't. Yeah. Don't press a cold, like wet cloth to a knife wound right. when the person is sleeping. <laughs> no warning. Like nobody's going to sleep through that. <laughs> hey, maybe he would. You know? mm, doubtful. But Pyrrhic lets go. When he realizes that it's Molly and not another attacker. Mm -hmm. And he lets her clean the wound. And it says his hand groped carefully over the bed beside him. What have you done with my baby? He asked. Your baby is fine. She's asleep in a basket right there. She wiped his back again, then nodded to herself. The bleeding has stopped and it looks clean. I think the leather of your tunic stopped most of her thrust. If you sit up, I can bandage it. So I wanted to point that out because a few times in this conversation, Beric is talking about we, he's talking about my baby. He's, he's already in that like family mode and right. frame of mind. So it's, it's kind of leading up to the ending scene, which fits views and flees away from, you know, of Molly and Beric getting together. Right. They talk about how, Awesome Molly did with coming up with the Whitbees. <laughs> and Molly just says that it's all she could think of at the time. It's not that impressive, even but, though it still is. Yeah, I mean, but she couldn't keep from smiling back at him. <laughs> right. And Beric asks, you know, how did you know that they would go towards the man with the red beard? And Molly said that it was just dumb luck and that she hoped that because he was holding the light, the bees would be attracted to the light because bees are a little bit like moths in that way that they are attracted to light. Yeah, I looked so. that up, too, and it is true. So. Yeah. Not so much the red in his beard as I thought, even though that was like repeatedly said red beard, you know. Right. <laughs> but more so that he was holding the candelabra and standing in front of the hearth. Yes. So it was just really lucky that. It was like true that yes. they went for the light. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it worked and it convinced everybody there. And Bjork makes a joke wondering if the bees are still there in the cabin with them and molly kind of cuts the joke short because she did lose her hive of bees yes and Bjork tries to offer that they can find more bees and molly says that it wouldn't be the same because bees that have been working all summer on one hive are different than bees that you catch halfway through mm -hmm. um, so it wouldn't be the same and it's basically a wash for the year 
which is sad because that's what she needs to make her candles. But again, Birik two times in this next section says we. We can go burning for more more bees. And then he asks, how are we to pay for all this? She says, I've taken care of it. And he's looking around the room at the inn and for the medicine that she got as well. And Birk is very suspicious, of course. And it says when she looked back at him, her mouth was flat. I'd known better than to argue with that face. Fitz's pin. I showed it to the innkeeper to get this room. And while you both slept this afternoon, I took it to a jeweler and sold it. He had opened his mouth, but she gave him no chance to speak. I know how to bargain, and I got its full worth. It's worth more. Its worth was more than coins. Nettle should have had that pin, Beric said. His mouth was as flat as hers. Nettle needed a warm bed and porridge far more than she needed a silver pin with a ruby in it. Even Fitz would have had the wisdom to know that. Oddly enough, I did. But Beric only said... I shall have to work many days to earn it back for her. Molly took up the bandages. She did not meet his eyes. You are a stubborn man, and I am sure you will do as you please about that, she said. I thought that was kind of funny, because yes. Eric is then silent and wondering whether he won or not. Yes. It is It is a really interesting exchange. So on the one hand, I do wonder if Molly knows the significance of the pin, like, that it was given by King Shrewd himself to Fitz. It feels odd that she would sell it. I mean, I know that they do need shelter. And she has a point, like, what good is a ruby pin if the child starves to death first? Right. Like, obviously some things are needed. But it is a little, like, mm, there's nothing else. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It just... It was necessary. It was and necessary. And she's very pragmatic. Yes. And... She's right that, like, it was necessary to keep them all together and safe for now. I'm just sad because it's like, oh, that is, like, actually an important memento. And maybe as someone I personally like keeping little trinkets and things, I would have a really hard time parting ways. But I guess I'm not (laughs) a mother on the run with, like, an injured kind of boyfriend that... (laughs) And the child, yeah, I don't know. So I guess like it's obviously like dire circumstances, but I did think it was really interesting that Fitz also said that, yeah, that makes sense. Sell it. And he doesn't seem to have a problem. So I guess really I should not have a problem. But it is like, did she know that it was from King Shrewd himself? (laughs) I guess even it was still paid the bills. She wraps his wound And before they can turn for food, Birk stops her and confronts her a little bit and asks her about Nettle. He says, Nettle is King Shrewd's great-grandchild, a farseer. Regal sees her as a threat to him. He may try to kill you again, both of you. In fact, I am sure he will. He scratched at his beard. Into her silence, he suggested... Perhaps the only way to protect you both is to put you under the true king's protection. There is a man I know. Perhaps Fitz told you of him? Jade? She shook her head mutely. Her eyes were going blacker and blacker. He could take Nettle to a safe place and see you were well provided for. 
The words came out of him slowly, reluctantly. Molly's reply was swift. No, she is not a farseer, she is mine, and I will not sell her, not for coin or safety. She glared at him and practically spat the words. How could you think I would? He smiled at her anger. I saw a guilty relief on his face. I did not think you would, but I felt obliged to offer it. So, I think that the fact that, <laughs> number one, Beric doesn't fully understand the type of relationship that Molly and Fitz had is a little bit sad. Because he's like, oh, well, surely Fitz would have told her about Chade, at least. And he didn't, because I think this is like a really good point of Fitz really kept so many secrets from Molly. Yeah. She didn't know anything about his life in the castle, essentially. And I can see how she would be getting mad, not just because Fitz, or I'm sorry, not just because Beric is offering up her child, essentially, but also here's another thing Fitz hasn't told her, another secret kept. And I think that would not help the mood. But I also, <laughs> I also think it's interesting that she shares the same sentiment as Fitz of the Farseers won't get my child. Right. I don't know. Strange. <laughs> Is it? She'd pretty much be giving up her baby to someone else. True. I, but I mean, I think it's interesting because she doesn't have... It's not coming from the same place as Fitz. Right, like, yeah. Totally different places. So but, I, I don't think it's strange yeah. necessarily for her to feel like that. I guess. I don't know. I just think it's strange because technically they could give her daughter a better life, right? more certainty and materially yeah yeah for sure i don't know so beer continues on and he gets a little bit more awkward and hesitant and says i had thought of another way they're talking about keeping nettle safe i do not know what you will think of it we will still have to travel away from here find a town where we are not known he looked at the floor abruptly if we were wed before we got there, folk would never question that she was mine. Molly stood as still as if turned to stone. The silence stretched. Birk lifted his eyes and met hers pleadingly. Do not take this wrong. I expect nothing of you that way. But even so, you need not wed me. There are witness stones in Kevdor. We could go there with a minstrel. I could stand before them and swear she was mine. No one would ever question it. You'd lie before witness stone, Molly asked incredulously. You'd do that to keep Nettle safe? He nodded slowly. She says no. That's terrible luck. And he says I will chance it. I had never known the man to lie before Nettle had come into his life. Now he offered to give a false oath. I wondered if Molly knew what he was offering her. She did. No, you will not lie, she spoke with certainty. So, I think Beric has lied before Nettle came into his life, and oh. it was when it had to deal with Fitz. Yeah. Beric has lied for Fitz all the time, and I think it's sad that Fitz doesn't Maybe not all it. the time, but he well, has lied for him. I guess, yeah, not all the time. But Beric has multiple times lied for Fitz, or on his behalf, and it saddens me that Fitz doesn't recognize that, that, like, 
That's like one of the big things of his character. He just doesn't believe people love him. I know. It just makes me so sad. And like, I I feel like he doesn't understand that Burek's love for Nettle stems from a love of Fitz himself, which right. in itself also stems from a love of his father chivalry. But I think that that's just who Burek is. He just like loves people. <laughs> he has a big heart. And I don't know. I'm just so sad for Fitz that he could never really truly understand that. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that he ever does like feel that Burek fully like fully understands the extent of Birk's fatherly love. And I'm sad for him because I know that Birk does care for him a lot, even through the jaded lens of Fitz's self-loathing. <laughs> so she refuses him that offer of lying before a witness stone. She stops and stares at him and asks, Birk? I have heard it told. Lacey said that once you loved patience, she took a breath. Do you love her still? Birk looked almost angry. Molly met his stare with a pleading look until Birk looked away from her. She could barely hear his words. I love my memories of her, as she was then, as I was then. Probably much as you still love Fitz. It was Molly's turn to wince. Some of the things I remember, yes. I do want to point out that this is exactly the type of thing, what Bjork has said, that Kettle is trying to tell Fitz. Yeah. Last chapter. Like, you love the memory, the good memories of this love and the time that you were there. Not her. And this is Burek, an adult grown man who had to suffer the loss of a love to the guy he looked up to as well. But he like has gone through and healed and recognizes that like, yes, he loved her at some point, but the love that's left isn't really love. It's just love for the time that was. And so I think that's really interesting because it's like another point where Burek and Fitz are kind of mirrors and Fitz is the next Burek. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've definitely talked about that before, and you can definitely see it here, too. Yeah. But Molly says he is dead. You know, that's that's in the past. That's final. And she adds, listen to me. Just listen. All my life it's been first my father. He always told me he loved me. But when he struck me and cursed me, it never felt like love to me. Then Fitz. He swore he loved me and touched me gently. But his lies never sounded like love to me. Now you. Birk, you never speak to me of love. You have never touched me, not in anger nor desire. But both your silence and your look speak more of love to me than Ever their words or touches did. She waited, and he did not speak. Beric, she asked desperately. You are young, he said softly, and lovely, so full of spirit, you deserve better. Beric, do you love me? A simple question, timidly asked. He folded his work-scarred hands in his lap, 
Yes. He gripped his hands together. To stop their trembling? Molly's smile broke forth like the sun from a cloud. Then you shall marry me. And afterward, if you wish, I shall stand before the witness stones, and I will admit to all that I was with you before we were wed, and I will show them the child. You'd marry me? As I am? Old? Poor? Scarred? You are none of those things to me. To me, you are the man I love. He shook his head. And after what you just said about bad luck, you would stand before a witness stone and lie? She smiled a different sort of smile at him, one I had not seen in a long time, one that broke my heart. It need not be a lie, she pointed out quietly. Then there's a fade to black as she pinches out the candles and Fitz flees from the scene. So after the whole line where Molly talks about what love has looked like in her past and what Bjork shows her now as love, every time I read that, I can't help but think, how do people not like Molly? <laughs> I mean, she is such a strong character and she has gone through so much. And this is a really good reminder that to her, from her perspective, Fitz was a liar. Yeah. Fitz just never told her anything. And when he did, most of it was just lies. And she did what was best for her in the moment. And like, I don't know, it just... I don't know. I know people don't like her and they like feel like she's I don't know why people don't like her. I don't usually read the Molly hate, but like I just read this and I see this girl who has struggled, who is looking for love and people have some sort of support system. Yes. And people have been telling her that they are that for her and her recognizing. No, you're not like you're saying it, but this doesn't feel right. And then here Bjork comes in and he is just. Caring and walking the walk. Yeah. Yeah. And he is, and it's nothing about what he's doing to her in any sort of way outside of just how he's treating her like a human, like a partner, like somebody, an equal, I guess. And I just, I think that's kind of really romantic. And honestly, as much as I like Molly and Fitz together, I also really love Molly and Burek. I think that there's a lot of trust and love there. The age gap is a little weird, but like, I think that they are really good for each other and mm -hmm. that they're both stubborn and like in a way that matches well, <laughs> but I don't know. And so I don't know. So I read this and I feel so bad for her and like, think of all the horrible things that have happened in Molly's life and then know that at least now she gets real love and gets to see what that is. And eventually obviously Fitz comes back and he's matured more and he's able to give her a more mature love. But I think that Burek is like the strong, steady force that she needs now. And they are a really good match. And I just really like Molly. <laughs> you say that later on Fitz matures more, but he really doesn't. He's just able to listen to patients saying, don't talk to her. And then Riddle saying like, hey. You want to send a message? <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah. I mean, like, he's not my trip right away, but I think you're the... No, I, yeah. I agree. I'm just making a joke about it because he's still pretty much a child because he just gets his memories back at that point. Right. No. There's definitely <laughs> some immaturity still. It is fits, but I don't know. I just really like Molly and I'm glad that she finds happiness I'm sad that Fitz continues to lie to her and like also pretends to be dead for 20 years. But I don't know. I guess it's like 
in some ways good for her. <laughs> yeah. Like we said earlier, when we in the beginning of the second book, maybe when they were actually together, we said it is good for them to be apart for a while. You know, it it is true. They both are able to grow up and to get to a better place. So right. this is the start of that for Molly. In her recognizing what good love looks like. Right. Yes. But well, Fitz flees. Yeah. It's not so good for Fitz. <laughs> and he flees right into Verity saying, oh, no, maybe this wasn't a great bargain on your end. Fitz has to kind of lock his feelings away and just says he will be good to her and Nettle. He is the sort of man she deserves. No, Verity, I should take comfort in it to know he will be with her caring for them both. Verity seems genuinely sad for Fitz because obviously that's not what Verity wanted to show him. Right. <laughs> he wanted to see, uh, show him that they were safe and they're happy. But with those wounds, with that scene he just saw, Fitz is like, do it now. Like, take everything you need, Verity. Just do it right now. And this is even more sad. This is like Fitz's pattern of running away from big feelings and... That just, shows up multiple times yes, in this being chapter. super reckless with his life when things don't go the way he has planned, which is frustrating because it's like, Fitz, value your life a little bit more. And we wake up into a scene that Fitz feels like he's been in before. An old body. Was- he remembers the other time in Shrewd, in Shrewd's body, riding along with him while... Shrewd was talking to the fool. Right. And how it felt to be old. But Mm -hmm. that was feeling old in a clean shirt and a nice bed. And this is feeling old while being on a stone floor and totally grubby and dirty and gross. And also in so much pain. There was more pain than life left in this body. Like a candle almost burned to the socket, I opened my eyes stickily. I sprawled on cold, gritty stone. A wolf sat watching me. And Night Eyes says, this is wrong. Right. So Night Eyes can already tell that this is Fitz, even though it isn't Fitz's body. They're still connected, yeah. Right. But I do want to say, Fitz specifically mentions that his arms and spots on his face feel like they're scalding and then his gut also is burning and i'm wonder i'm wondering if this is because the silver comes off when verity touches his food because before the group came to help verity like cook food he had to just eat whatever he caught and he wasn't even cooking it over a fire so i doubt he was stopping to use utensils so i wonder if the pain in his gut is because there's silver in his stomach even could be could also be just severe hunger and he's been up there for what almost a year and he said like i barely even stopped right but i mean I he's know. been eating more regularly now so i don't the think past he's... couple nights only <laughs> but yeah <laughs> i guess yeah i don't, I don't know. know how long it's been so i mean i wouldn't be surprised if he's just sick as well you know true yeah but it could be the silver that that's an interesting thought we don't ever hear of the fool 
running into trouble with that or anything like that. Right. So he's thinking about it. And it seems as though the skill only transfers onto living material and the black stone. And even that, it's not really like handprints left behind per se. But I was thinking about how when Verity talks about how he was eating before, it was with fish and he probably would have had to fish for fish with his arms like Fitz did. Mm, yeah, maybe. And they would be alive when he caught him. So I'm wondering mm. if like... Some little silver. Yeah. Could be. Definitely I don't know. could be. Just a thought that I had. Maybe it's nothing. Maybe he just has, you know, <laughs> a hurt tummy. <laughs> But the wolf is there, and Nida is saying this is weird and wrong. I do not understand. And Fitz replies back, I do not wish to understand. I do not want to know. That's repeated often throughout this, the next few scenes here. That Fitz just is running away. He just doesn't want to know. He doesn't want to do anything with it. This is what happened. Let it be done. Don't let me in. I don't want to dwell. This, I think this... And also some of the following is particularly why I get so bristly about what Verity has done. Like, clearly Fitz is realizing now what's going on. He walks through the camp and he hears noises coming out of Ketrickin's tent. And he doesn't want to think about it. He just continues on and tries to push the thought from his mind. And he doesn't, he says again, he doesn't want to know. And he's connected to Verity, so he does know what's happening. And he knows that she's seeing Verity's eyes and doesn't know. But now he knows and he doesn't want to. And I just. I do want to say specifically Verity's face was what she saw in the dimness. Verity's dark eyes looking into hers. She believed her husband had finally come to her. In truth, he had. And again, he says, I did not want to hear. I did not want to know. So he walks very slowly out towards Girl on a dragon. Right. But I just, oh, I just hate it. Because not only is it bad enough, I mean, obviously things are made worse by the fact that he just watched the love of his life, who he assumed would wait for him through death, get cozy with Beric, his father figure. But now he's realizing that his body is being used for something else and he's not actually going to die. Verity is just using his body for a night. And I don't know. It's just really sad. Just, and Fitz is mad. He is feeling a lot of pain and frustration. And he wants to release that. He doesn't want to feel anything anymore. So he walks along. Night Eyes is still trying to figure out what's going on. He asks if this is like when they shared a body. And Fitz says no out loud. Here's a scrabbling noise at the stone, says, what's that? Night Eyes returns, says, it's the scentless one. He's hiding from you because he thinks you're the king. And Fitz makes his way over to Girl on a Dragon, where he knows the fool will be. And this isn't like them sharing a body, because this is a full and total swap. Yes. So... This idea is really interesting to me as someone who likes the pendantics of how the magic works. But I think this also 
sets us up for later when Fool and Fitz switch bodies, Mm -hmm. that this is something that is fully done with their skill connection. Yeah. And not with wit, although I'm sure Fitz's wit helps in some way, but... It does. He describes that the wit, I think, helps him know what is alive. Like, what does that mean kind of thing. Right. But it is really interesting to see that this is something that's possible. I wonder... What this makes me wonder is if this is something that Verity was trained in for him to know this was possible, or maybe he knows because he knows everything that Nettle knows, or sorry, Kettle knows, that because they Possibly. put everything into the dragon. Like, did he just think, well, I'll try it, and if it doesn't work, I'll kill him? Like, I just don't know, because it seems as though Verity knew he was going to be able to do this. There are descriptions in the books about how the more you use the skill, the stronger you get, and the more you kind of instinctively learn and know how to do. So I feel like it's one of those things. He's been using the skill so long. His arms are laved in pure skill. He got the talking to by Kettle and has gone through all of her memories and knows everything that at this point he probably just knows. He's probably just like, yeah, this is possible. I'll just do it. That's fair. But it is really interesting, too, that even though they switched bodies, that whoever they are, the essence on the core of the inside has not changed. And that the connection that Night Eyes and even the Fool have to Fitz is now stemming from Verity's body because it's Fitz that is Mm -hmm. in his body. I thought that was a really cool detail. Yeah, the body is just a... A vessel. A meat puppet. (laughs) (laughs) Fitz is slowly, 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 carefully moving across towards the statue. Softly calls out Fool. And the Fool comes out slowly from the shadows, eyes down before him. My king, he said softly, I tried, but I cannot help myself. I cannot just leave her here. I nodded slowly, wordlessly. At the base of the dais, Night Eyes whined. The fool glanced down at him, then back up at me. Puzzlement crossed his face. My lord, he asked. I reached for the thread of the skill bond between us and found it. The fool's face grew very still as he struggled to understand. He came to sit beside me. He stared at me, as if he could see through Verity's skin. I like this knot, he said at last. Nor I, I agreed. Why have you better not to know, I said briefly. So once again, Fitz is saying like, you know, don't even ask me about it. I, it's better not to know, even for you. Like just right. ignore it. We're good. Let's move on. Oh, hey, look, you have Verity's chisel now. Right. And Fool's like, oh, I broke my knife. This works better. <laughs> right. And also Verity doesn't need it anymore. The dragon's done. I do want to say, so there's a lot of description that we're skipping over because it's just really repetitive of the slow movement of the arduous, basically shuffling of an old man. and The creaking of, you know, all the limbs and joints. Yeah, but I want to really point this out because I think when I was remembering these chapters before reading this in depth for the reread i was under the impression in my mind that when fitz is in verity's body he takes over that like emotionless state of having given everything to the dragon 
And I don't think that's necessarily true. I think there's a lot of him pushing away feelings and trying to avoid what he's thinking of. He's moving really slow. And there's this overall vibe of like Fitz not really being all there. But I I think if you're really reading that, although it is like he's having a tough time getting around and he's trying to be careful with his skill-laden arms, I don't think that he is the same as Verity in that he has given everything away. Right. No, no. He's still, it, it seems to equate, the writing seems to equate your life force with your feelings. Yes. And that's kind of locked into the body in some way. But when the transferred mind and switch bodies, Fitz still has all of his memories and feelings from those memories. Yes. But the body of Fitz is able to create more bodies or more memories, excuse me, and bodies technically, (laughs) while the body of Verity that Fitz is inhabiting is just so decrepit and unable to do anything. And with Verity in that state, it's just there's nothing. Yeah. Literally nothing that. Verity could do at that point. Right. And so, yeah, so I just wanted to point that out that I think we may have talked about it on here of like, I think maybe he gets, he feels the way it is to be forged completely because he takes over Verity's body, but he doesn't. He just is hurting, avoiding feelings, avoiding this big thing that Verity has just done kind of without his permission. I mean, without his knowing permission. (laughs) And, also is in basically the body of a like 200 year old man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it is interesting though, because there's a couple times that it's referenced of like this body remembers, right? Right. So it's a weird meld of, yeah, the mind or the souls or whatever you want to call them that swapped bodies. They have the grasp on magic. They still have their own skill, their own wit, whatever connections they had that goes with the memories and the feelings. However, the bodies seem to remember everything else that that body and that previous mind has done. Right. So Fitz kind of has all of Verity's knowledge while in Verity's body. And I'm sure for the same for uh, Fitz, you know, there, there's still that kind of baseline knowledge of, what that body could do and did and what that mind in that body knew before. Right. So it's kind of like a weird gray blending area of things. So Fitz kind of knows stuff. And that's where I think he can draw on like the feeling of having all your, your emotions gone. Right. Being like, yeah, Kettle doesn't mean this when they're talking later. Because I know now what it's like to have all of your emotions gone. Not that Fitz had lost all of his emotions but that he the body kind of knows what it's like and that yeah you don't mean this because i get a little bit of that feeling right so i did just want to take a quick aside to mention that fitz is talking to fool fool is talking about how verity does not need this chisel anymore and fitz as he watches him work reminds him again that the dragon, it, the girl on dragon is taking his strength. And the fool's like, I know. Yeah. And Fitz warns him that the dragon could take all that Fool has to offer and it would still not be enough. 
to make the dragon rise. So it doesn't matter how much time or energy he does this. The dragon isn't going to come to life just because he's giving her some of the strength. And Fool says, how do you know? And Fitz says, this body knows. The Fool continues on anyways, though, and and finishes chiseling part that he was doing around the legs and lays his skill fingers onto the dragon. And he gives some memories and speaks out loud of his sister and how salt or the image of the girl on the dragon reminds him of his sister and that she had golden hair. Yes, his older sister. Yes. I should have liked to see her again. She used to spoil me outrageously. I would have liked to see all my family again. His tone was no more than wistful as he moved his the fingers idly against the chiseled stone. Fool, let me try. And the f- fool's like, she might not accept you. Yeah. And Fitz in Verity's body's like, oh, she will. I have some sort of skill connection to you. I do want to say that I think... So when Fool becomes Amber for the next series... He has kind of golden hair. And so I wonder if he styles Amber after his older sister hmm. in some ways. It's a little bit of part of his sister that can live on. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. If that's like where he gets inspiration or where he like draws the knowledge of like who Amber becomes. I don't know. Yeah. Could be. Just a thought because they both have golden hair and he mentions her here. So. <laughs> So Fitz has the fool touch him to strengthen the skill bond between them. And he puts his hands on the the foot of Girl on a Dragon. Yes. He talks about how he's not sure what brings him to do this. If it's the sudden outpouring of fool of a memory because fool's normally so closed off and so like maybe just the sharing of something of the fool makes him want to help or if it's the pain from molly and what or what verity did to him he's not really sure what's contributing to this recklessness but he grabs on and starts giving and he says not thinking was so much easier and not feeling was easiest of all And when he touches the dragon, he instantly knows the story of Girl on a Dragon. And I want to go over that again because we've talked about it a few times. Just want to get the actual wording from the book on here. And I knew the woman who had carved it. The women. A coterie so long ago. Salt's coterie. But Salt had been too proud. Her features were on the carven face, and she had sought to remain in her own form, carving herself upon the dragon that her coterie shaped around her. They had been too loyal to object, and almost she had succeeded. The dragon had been finished, and almost filled. The dragon had quickened and began to rise as the coterie was absorbed into it, but Salt had striven to remain only within the carved girl. She had held back from the dragon. And the dragon had fallen before it could even rise, sinking back into the stone, miring down forever, leaving the coterie trapped in the dragon and salt trapped in the girl. All this I knew swifter than lightning. I do want to say this makes me even more confused as to how the dragons work, because this is just one statue. And I know that she's like 
I'm focusing all my memories into this one part of the dragon. But like, it's all the same statue. So either it was enough for the statue or it wasn't. And regardless of if she would have focused it in one area, it wouldn't have flown is how I feel about it. So it's like really weird that everybody's like, it's the takeaway works. <laughs> I know. Well, everybody's like the takeaway from this is clearly not to hold yourself back. And I'm like, but she didn't hold herself back. She put all of herself into one part, one specific part, but it's still connected to the rest of it because she saw it as separate. It wasn't one statue to her. She was going to be the girl riding on the dragon. That was her coterie, Right. They weren't working together. They weren't mm. doing it harmoniously. She saw them as separate things when it was all one statue, like you said. I guess. I don't know. I just don't see how that, like, makes it not work. Because, like... It's magic. That's <laughs> know, why it makes I it know. not work. It's gotta work together or it doesn't work at all. It also has to be part of the story. It adds flavor. I get it. But, like... I don't know. I still feel like if there was enough to make it move, it should have been enough, even if she wanted to be separate. And maybe they should have just melded together anyway. I don't know. Maybe that could have been the story of like, it doesn't matter, but it's just something that I thought when I was reading it. <laughs> Fitz also, after he learns that, feels the dragon's hunger. And he senses what the fool has been putting into the dragon recently. The jeering taunts of gardeners and chamberlains when he was young at Buckkeep, a branch of apple blossoms outside a window in spring, an image of me, my jerkin flapping as I hurried across the yard at Burek's heels, trying to make my shorter legs match his long stride, a silverfish leaping above a silent pond at dawn. And I wanted to go over those because at the beginning of that, Fitz says he senses what the fool is given, both light and dark. And what Fitz is just about to give is all dark. Yes. There's no good. He doesn't balance. He doesn't try to hold back or limit himself in what he is giving. He just full on, hey, take take all of this. Take all the bad stuff. I don't want mm -hmm. it. Take my memories of my mother and feelings that went with them. I do not want to know them at all. Take the ache in my throat when I think of Molly. Take all the sharp edged, bright colored days I recall with her. Take their brilliance and leave me but the shadows of what I saw and felt. Let me recall them without cutting myself on their sharpness. Take my days and nights in Regal's dungeons. It is enough to know what was done to me. Take it to keep and let me stop feeling my face against the stone floor, hearing the sound of my nose breaking, smelling and tasting my own blood. Take my hurt that I never knew my father. Take my hours of staring up at his portrait when the great hall was empty and I could do so alone. Take my fits. Stop. You give her too much. There will be nothing left of you. The fool's voice inside me was horror-stricken at what he had encouraged. Take my memories of that tower top, of the bare, windswept queen's garden and Galen standing over me. Take that image of Molly going so willingly to Beric's arms. Take it and quench it. Seal it away where it can never sear me again. Take my brother. Enough. Night Eyes was suddenly between me and the dragon. I knew I still gripped that scaly foreleg, but he snarled at it, defying it to take more of me. I do not care if it all is taken, I told Night Eyes. But I do. I would sooner not be bonded with a forged one. Get back, cold one, he snarled in spirit as well as beside me. To my surprise, the dragon yielded. My companion nipped at my shoulder. Let go. Get away from that. 
and Fitz draws back. He gives a lot. He does give a lot. A lot, a lot. Yeah. And kind of all at once. Mm-hmm. And we'll, we'll talk more of it, of course, going on as the series goes on. But I guess here is a good place to repoint out that doing this, giving away so many touchstone points of his life, so many to use, oh, what's that movie? Core memories. Yeah. Inside out. Inside out. Yeah. Use inside out language here. So giving away so many of his bad core memories and emotions going with them doesn't give him a stepping stone or a place to evaluate other people's hurt or his own hurt when new feelings come up. He can't heal from them. He never gets over those feelings, so he doesn't know how to cope with anything new that comes to him. Right. He doesn't have that comparison to feel as much empathy as he could. He's just kind of blah inside <laughs> after this. Yeah. I think it's really interesting to first get what the fool is giving because the fools are so intricate and detailed and small. Mm-hmm. And they're little Fitz, scenes. Yes. And Fitz's are so big and ambiguous and large swaths. It feels like mm-hmm. it's cutting whole chunks out, not even stopping to evaluate. And you did mention that it's all dark, but I think some of the light is there too. Like the feelings for his mom are all bad. He just doesn't want to think about any of it. So there right. are at least some happy memories going in. And and some of the nice memories of Molly, too. Yes. Yeah. So, like, some of it's going in. But the, the point is, is he doesn't know what the difference is at this point. He's just taking all of it away. And so there is no time for him to sort through that in his mind and be able to find the happiness in some of it. There is only it gone. Mm-hmm. And when he lets go he sees that all it did was sharpen a few scales that where he had had his hands. I think what gives color to two scales and that's it in the, in the foot. (laughs) There are two handprints now within those shapes. Each, each scale stood fine and perfect. All of that. I thought all of that. And this is how much dragon it brought me. Then I thought Verity's dragon. It was immense. Yeah, so he has two handprints on there, and yeah, all those small scales that were are within that are colored, but that's it, just the handprints. Yeah. I do wonder if that's because it is big chunks that he's giving and he's not, like, taking apart each detail. I think probably, probably that helps when you, like, break it up. But either way, he's giving it up, mm-hmm. and it isn't even amounting to much. <laughs> the fool is horrified at this. And wants him to stop. And then Night Eyes comes and is very effective in getting the dragon's hunger to back off. Yeah. Which I I haven't really fully thought through my, like, the connection to that. But do you know anything or have any thoughts on why the dragon seems to respect Night Eyes' claim to Fitz? So, okay, I have two thoughts. One is that this isn't a real dragon. This is a group of humans, a coterie that have banded together to make a likeness of a dragon. Yes. So 
I think that humanness, seeing a predator snarl at you, you would just let go. I mean, I, I mean, see, yeah, a it, little bit. it's a little different, but I think that there's still that memory of like, ooh, dangerous, like a like they're not used to being the top of the pecking order. They're whereas a real dragon, a wolf isn't going to scare them away. I feel like because these are humans with human memory, it's easier for them to let go of something they want because humans, although they think they're in charge of everything, they still have some boundaries with other humans, right? They recognize hierarchy in some ways. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it could be something like that where it's just like... Interesting. Where you were going with that to start with, I thought you were going to go to... They were in a coterie and working together so could recognize the link that Fitz and Night Eyes had and didn't oh. want to take one person away when there is another person of like a coterie or whatever, another being there and kind of respected that a little bit more. That is also an option, I suppose. And although they're willing to take fool and he's connected. So it's true. There is a, uh, there's another thing though with that. I, I know this isn't a real dragon, but I feel like dragons have a, a pretty good blend of skill and wit and that's basically what dragon magic is (laughs) right and i feel like maybe they can just kind of recognize that with fits or with night eyes coming in and talking to them and could actually like understand night eyes right through that no for sure it's interesting no i thought it was a very interesting scene and just kind of wanted to get some thoughts on it and also i'm wondering if so this made me think about how later when Fitz meets Tatangula, I believe for the first time in his dreams in the next Fitz trilogy, uh, the Tawny Man trilogy, um, Tatangula says you've already been claimed by another dragon. And I wonder if Girl on Dragon, because Girl on Dragon at this point still has the yes. memories. Yeah. If this is the dragon that has a claim, if yes. she counts this as a dragon. I think so. hundred percent. I think so. That's so interesting because she doesn't, I think she herself says that it's just an imitation for flattery. So I don't know. It's really interesting that they, they count this as like a claim from a dragon. Might feel like that. Mm. You know, to like her magic or her sensing him or something like that. Right. Another person or another thing has claims to part of him. So some of him is missing and maybe can kind of see like a link somewhere or sense that link somewhere and be like, Oh, you have another dragon. Don't, (laughs) don't bother with me (laughs) (laughs) I don't know either way it's really interesting I am always so confused about that section and about that of like who's the other dragon that has his I don't know Yeah, I in my rereads I always assumed it was the girl on a dragon memories but I guess that doesn't fully make sense because it is an imitation but I guess I'm thinking that it's whatever the motherly thing is that picks him up from the stream which also happens in the tawny man trilogy yeah when he almost loses himself and he says it's like mother like i believe or is it father like it's mother like for him it's father like for dutiful because they're both missing and wanting that presence in their life right Right. and that's where i was like maybe it's you don't know i don't know it doesn't matter just a yeah my my thoughts are that's this it's the same being and each person interprets it as they want to. It's Saw. <laughs> Isn't Saw genderless? Yeah. Yeah. Like one of many faces or whatever. Yeah. Could be. Could be Saw. Who knows? <laughs> I'm very excited to get to Windrow. I'm 
That's all I'm going to say. Anyway, <laughs> the mention of Saw, I'm very excited. <laughs> Saw, dude. Saw, bruh. So the fool, after Fitz pulls back, the fool is, has his arms around Night Eyes and saying, Fitz, I'm sorry, but you cannot throw away all your pain. If you stop feeling pain, and Fitz just stops listening because he's looking at those scales and wondering, how did Verity fill up a whole dragon by himself then? Right. How had he done it? And Kettle is walking in at this point and says, he feels much, your uncle. Great loves, fast loyalty. Sometimes I think that my 200-odd years pale beside what he has felt in his 40-some. All three of us turned to Kettle. I felt no surprise. I had known she was coming, and I had not cared. So this is a really interesting admission from Kettle that a little, another little tiny insight as to how the magic works and how creating a dragon goes and something I believe Amir brought to our attention that in a listener email, that the feelings are really important. Yeah. That feelings are what make up this dragon and it is imperative that these feelings go into a dragon. Mm -hmm. And so as much as like earlier ragging on Verity, he clearly does have a lot of depth of feeling and I mean enough to make almost an entire dragon by himself but yeah it's the feeling it's not just the memories that he's giving away it's the feelings mm -hmm. so it's a lot of feelings to fill up that dragon yeah feels like though I mean, it feels it feels like Verity is more in touch with his feelings whereas Fitz as a character kind of refuses to feel his feelings Oh, yeah, he runs away and everything right. like that. And so I guess it just shows like that there is strength in knowing how to name your feeling instead of just running away. Probably healthier, too. Although both are useful at times. But Kettle's here. Kettle's here. She meets Fitz's eyes, and he knows that skill linked to Verity as she is, she knows everything and knows that it is Fitz inside of him. It says, get down, all of you, before you hurt yourselves. Kettle, of course, is Kettle and says, you know, if you were going to do that, you should have put it in Verity's dragon. And <laughs> Fitz is like, you wouldn't have let me. And he's like, you're right. We wouldn't have let you. <laughs> <laughs> and let me tell you something, Fitz. You are going to miss what you gave away. You will recover some of the feelings in time, of course. All memories are connected and like a man's skin, they can heal. In time, left to themselves, those memories would have stopped hurting you. You may someday wish you could call up that pain. I do not think so, I said calmly to cover my own doubt. I still have plenty of pain left. She turns and says, Dawn's coming. You must return to the dragon, to Verity's dragon. And tells Fool and Night Eyes to go look for Regal's troops. And to relay back to Fitz directing towards Night Eyes to relay back to Fitz what's happening just so they can keep up a stream of information. She also tells Fool what Fitz had started this conversation off with, with a warning of you could give everything that you have to Girl and a Dragon your whole life, and even then it might not be enough. 
and you're torturing yourself and her by doing this. So stop. And they hobble back to camp. Yes. Slowly, both of them. Well, not camp. They're going to the dragon. Right. I mean, it's through camp to the dragon. Right. So as they go, Kettle apologizes about Molly. She didn't sound sorry, but Fitz here is understanding that that's just because her knowledge of what empathy is, is in the dragon. So she knows that she should be sorry, but doesn't remember what that feels like. I specifically highlighted this sentence. She still had pain for me, but she no longer recalled any pain of her own to compare it with. And I highlighted that because of the discussion I just brought up previously, how those are touchstones to compare, you know, the rest of your feelings with those. Right. Very big moments in your life make you feel more happy or more sad or this is more beautiful than I could have ever imagined right. versus like, this is cool. Right. I'm living life. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is a really interesting way to look at emotions. And it reminds me of something that I read once that was talking about how a lot of times adults will write off children or teenagers feelings because as an adult you know that what they're going through isn't that big of a deal but to a teenager or a child it is a big deal because it's the first time they've had this big feeling yeah so they have ne- they don't have anything to compare it to so it is the end of the world that you're embarrassed about your mom dancing in front of you in public where your friends can see because you've never had any other embarrassment that felt that big so you can't realize that like yeah it's embarrassing but like worse things can happen the worst things haven't happened yet that's a, it's an interesting thing like to think about because then we're not like those past moments weren't you know okay even though they felt like the worst they were the worst and we just got used to that bad right. feeling <laughs> right you just like if they're bad feelings are building blocks where you just yeah. up your tolerance i guess I same with good feeling like all feelings <laughs> yes but i i say that because i think it's a really interesting way to put it in this way that if you got rid of those embarrassing memories or your first heartbreak or your first love even then how are you supposed to go on to the next heartbreak or love and be able to change anything that happens. Right. You can't make decisions that will have a different outcome even or have something that hurts less because you have nothing to compare it to. It will be bad all over again. And that part of growing and living life is feeling these hurts and these joys and putting it on a scale. It's We're yeah. a living scale that we continuously add to. Yeah, mapping it out for your whole character for your your whole life right and moving on to the next thing and so i don't know i just really like that it's played out here of especially how it's described with kettle that she knows she should feel sorry she just has no way to measure what that means like what his hurt is because she can't remember any of her own Mm -hmm. so yeah i don't know i just really like this so they're walking back and kettle Thanks, Fitz, basically. And it says it's a good thing that you do this night. A kind thing. Her lips started to smile, but her eyes teared. To give him one last night of youth and passion. She looks on Fitz's face and says, I shall say no more of it then. 
and they walk the rest of the way in silence get back to the dragon and wait (laughs) as they're walking Fitz accidentally scratches his ear and immediately feels horrible pain searing pain from the skill touch and also instantly can hear a lot better he is hearing all the insects at top volume now instead of before where they're kind of a low hum in the background so he thinks about how Verity has all these splotches on his face and I think it just is another reminder that he's not in his own body yet. This is still Verity who has those skill laden hands. And I think it gives Fitz a new look too on what Verity is suffering. He can't even just scratch his ear errantly. Mm-hmm. It has consequences. So he's sitting at the dragon waiting for Verity, waiting for his body, his own body, and sees himself walking up towards the dragon. My face was freshly washed. My wet hair slicked back from my brow into a warrior's tail. Verity wore my body well. Our eyes met in the early light. I saw my eyes narrow as Verity appraised his own body. I stood up and without thinking began to brush my clothes off. Then I realized what I was doing. This was not a shirt I had borrowed. My laugh boomed out. Louder than I used. Yeah, then I used it. Verity shook my head at me. It's such a confusing, <laughs> such a confusing paragraph on the first read through and such an amusing picture, an amusing right. scene to picture in your head. It's so interesting because it still fits like the body remembers. It's still all of Fitz's qualities, but it's not fits in there. <laughs> Verity says that he almost forgot how a body like that felt and that he used to have one like that. And it was very nice (laughs) to have that feeling again and says, take care of it fits. You only get one to keep anyway. And then there's a wave of giddiness and black closed from the edges of Fitz's vision sinks down to the, uh, to his knees to keep from falling. And all of a sudden, sorry, Verity said quietly. And it was in his own voice. Fitz is looking up and Verity's looking down at him. Fitz's body is very tired. He can smell Ketrickin's scent on his skin. And all of a sudden he's super outraged that this happened. And then it crests and falls away as if the emotion were too much effort. Verity's eyes met mine and accepted all I felt. I will neither apologize to you nor thank you. Neither would be adequate. And in truth, how could I say I am sorry? I am not. My dragon will rise. My queen will bear a child. I will drive the red ships from our shore. He took a deep breath. No, I am not sorry for our bargain. Fit chivalry, are you sorry? I don't know. I tried to decide. The roots of it go too deep, I said at last. Where would I start to undo my past? How far back would I have to reach? How much would I have to change in order to change this, or to say I was not sorry now? So Fitz is has a lot of soul-searching to do at this point. Right. He just put a lot of his feelings into a dragon and doesn't have those points of reference to feel much of anything over this happening. I do want to mention that his outrage dies down pretty quickly and i'm wondering if 
his he's not angering as quickly because of what was put in Verity's dragon. Because Verity took Fitz's anger before. And so I'm wondering if maybe just the way to get as worked up as Fitz has been isn't there anymore. He doesn't really remember why you would need to be that upset about something. Maybe, but I don't think it's like, like our discussion before about that scene. Right. I don't think it's taking the source of the feelings or your ability to feel those feelings. So I don't think it would affect it right here. I guess maybe I didn't like say what I'm trying to say based off of what you said back to me. But I mean, just that like, like there's no base level of what anger is and he can like vaguely remember that what outrage is, but it feels like a lot of effort. I don't, I guess I don't know how to say it any better, but just that like maybe in taking that anger, the like righteous anger of somebody doing something that you don't like away. Possible. It's like, Oh, what, why, what difference does it make? I don't know. I guess that in tandem with the fact that he has given away all his pain, that like is the underlying fuel for his rage Mm -hmm. (laughs) probably doesn't help, but I don't know. So I was just wondering, but Fitz does make the comment that this is too much to think on. At what point is he sorry? Because he's done a lot of things. And like, if he wasn't going to be sorry now, he'd have to take back basically his whole life. So I guess it's fine. He doesn't ever, I guess he still never says it's okay. And Verity isn't really apologetic. So I don't know. Don't love that. But here we are anyway, going forward. Night Eyes checks in and says the road is empty. And Fitz says, yeah, I know. And Kettle does too. She just wanted you and the fool to go off. <laughs> Away from Girl on Dragon. Yeah. You're supposed to keep him safe. And Night Eyes asks if he's okay. And then Verity echoes it. Of mm-hmm. Fitz, are you all right? There was concern in Verity's voice, but it could not completely mask the triumph there as well. Of course not, I told them both. Of course not. I walked away from the dragon. Kettle, as he's walking away, asks, are we ready to quicken the dragon? Like, she's all excited to go, and Verity says, no, I just want to feel like a man for a little longer. And Fitz is passing through the camp. Ketrakin emerges from her tent, and described as, like, a warm luminescence on her face, smiles at Fitz, and he can't stand it, and just hurries past and goes to bathe again, even though Verity as Fitz already took a bath in the, uh, in the river. Right. So he goes there again and starts scrubbing. Night eyes is on the bank and watching him and says, I do not understand. You do not smell bad. And Fitz is like night eyes go hunting, please. You wish to be alone as much as that is possible anymore. He stood up and stretched, curtsying low to me as he did. Someday, it will be only you and I. We shall hunt and eat and sleep, and you will heal. May we both live to see that, I agreed wholeheartedly. This whole chapter, I do want to make a note that it is a stark difference in a positive way from the relationships with Night Eyes that we see in the past. Kettle instantly accepts who Night Eyes is and what he can do to talk with Fitz when sending him off with a fool. Right. Later on in this chapter, we see 
Starling pretty much just kind of laugh at the connection that Fitz and Night Eyes have and accept that as well. Mm -hmm. And we see Night Eyes with Fitz here just accepting that, yeah, there are boundaries. Right. We've talked about that before with the previous thing in the castle when Night Eyes was a pup and when uh, Night Eyes went off alone to the, the pack as well. Right. But here they are, all the boundaries and relationships kind of established and accepting. Right. Also, not only is Night Eyes knowing of boundaries, but he also is thinking of the future, which I think yeah. is really big of like, hey, yeah, this is bad, but soon it won't be. And that's okay. And you're going to heal from this, which I think is big because Night Eyes isn't really a future thinker before. And now he understands that the now is good sometimes, but also it's good to look at the future, which is very human. Mm -hmm. But I also want to say that this description of Fitz kind of not being able to look at people and he feels dirty and he's like scrubbing himself clean. He can't even look at Ketrickin right now. I do feel so bad for him. Yeah. Like this is kind of a big violation that happened to his yeah. body. And I like, clearly he's not okay with that aspect. Like, yes, he is hurting from taking out all of his feelings into a dragon and what happened with Molly and Burek, but also this other thing happened and that's what he's focusing on right now. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that like can be overlooked in some ways. Like if, it's obviously a really hard thing to talk on and it's hard too because Verity is supposed to be a good guy. And so you don't want to like, I don't know, make him seem worse. But this thing that happened clearly is affecting Fitz and Fitz obviously isn't okay with it. He doesn't like it and feels like he needs to scrub himself with reeds to try to feel clean. And he still doesn't. And I just feel really, really bad for Fitz. This is a big thing and it doesn't really ever get touched on again. Yeah. It's not, I mean, occasionally Fitz makes comment, little comments here and there about how he knows what happened with him and Ketrickin and that like he has kind of memories of it, but otherwise it's kind of brushed under the rug. This isn't something that Fitz really ever dwells on in the future. And I just, so I just wanted to take a moment here to, mm -hmm point out that this is something that isn't great obviously and also it is something that affects Fitz and that Fitz isn't happy yeah definitely Fitz finishes up trying to clean himself puts his clothes on lays down on the bank and he just wants to be alone he thinks of like maybe the dragon is done by now you know I should want to see it but he just wants to be alone. He looks up into the blue sky and he says he tries to feel something. Dread, excitement, anger, hate, love. Instead, I only felt confused and tired, weary of flesh and spirit. He closes his eyes and he hears harp notes. Starling is coming up on towards him and she sits down on the stream bank and plays. He notices that her left hand is working harder because of the old injury. Mm -hmm. And he notes that he should have felt something about that, but he doesn't know what. And then asks out loud, what good are feelings? Again, that I think that right there is, is not knowing what to feel for 
her fingers is a good example of what he kind of lost immediately from giving up a lot of that hurt. Right. It's like, is that a bad thing? I don't, should I feel sympathy? Empathy? Yeah. Should I feel sad? Should I be happy because you're working your fingers? Right. And they're moving? <laughs> he just doesn't know. And to be fair, I mean, Fitz kind of never really knows <laughs> how to feel. But in this, he especially is, it's clear something is missing. Yes. So they pick up a conversation and Fitz is like, well, there's no answers over here. Why aren't you in the quarry? Surely that's where the song is. And she says, because I am here with you. And because everyone else seems busy. Kettle sleeping and Ketrican and Verity. While well, she was combing his hair when I left. I do not think I had seen King Verity smile before. When he does, he looks a great deal like you. About the eyes. Anyway... I do not think they will miss me. And she does mention that the fool is that girl and a dragon. I do want to point out that this is the third time this chapter that it, that Verity and Fitz's eyes being similar is mentioned. I think it has been mentioned in the past too. Yeah. But especially this chapter, the eyes is repeated. And I think that's really important. I don't know why exactly, but <laughs> clearly it is if it's being repeated. <laughs> But I do think... Because it was Verity's eyes that Ketrickin saw. Yes. And I mean, Ketrickin has said, don't look at me with his eyes. Yeah. And so, I don't know. I think there's something there. I, I feel like if I pushed myself a little bit harder, I could think of why. I but. think it's just that connection. I think it's just the that. But there might be something more. I know. Think about it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like fits. I know I should think something of this, but <laughs> I don't know what. <laughs> we talk about the fool a little bit and... Fitz says, you know, he can't really help her at all. I don't think he can resist trying, though. And for all his quick tongue, he has a soft nature. I know that. Now, in some ways, I've come to know him very well. In others, he will always be unknowable to me. I nodded silently to that. I highlighted that line because from Starling of all people, that is like the perfect summation of the fool. For almost everybody in the in the whole series. Yeah. I think including Fitz. Known very well, and yet, in some ways, completely unknowable. Right. Because the Fool also has issues with not letting people see every single side of them. Yes. Yeah. And when that finally, that reveal finally comes to Fitz, it's not on purpose. Mm-hmm. It's from like him overhearing Amber yeah. react and talk with Jack in the Tawny Man trilogy. And that completely catches him off guard, which is not. Yeah, no, everything yeah. is kind of like messed up. So there's there's aspects that the fool just needs to keep private and hidden. Right. It's also interesting because when fool has other personalities, Fitz truly believes that those person those personalities are like separate entities. He sees them as different people. Yeah. He hates Amber. <laughs> he like hates Amber. I don't know. He has like a really weird thing about Amber. Uh, he doesn't love gold, the golden man. I can't. Lord think. Golden. Lord Golden. Thank golden you. Man. <laughs> like fool is the person that he knows. And I think that the reason he doesn't like the other iterations of fools identities are because 
it feels like then he doesn't know fool as well as he thought. Yeah. But he doesn't. And mm-hmm. I don't know. It is kind of a sad thing that fool feels the need to hide the aspects of themselves. But, you know, at this point, <laughs> Fitz doesn't understand that there is that much to not know about someone. Well, with that talk of fool, there is a silence. And then Starling does admit that the fool sent Starling to Fitz. Fitz, of course, groans and wondered how much he had told her. I'm sorry to hear about Molly, she began, but not surprised I filled in for her. No, not surprised. At least, you know, she is safe and cared for, she offered. And Fitz goes on to say, like, yeah, I knew that. But it shamed him that he couldn't find any comfort in that, really. Putting it into the dragon had helped in the same way that cutting off an infected limb helped. Being rid of it was not the same as being healed of it. The empty place inside me itched. Perhaps I wanted to hurt. I watched her from the shade of my arm. Fitz, she said quietly, I asked you once for yourself, in in gentleness and friendship, to chase a memory away. She looked away from me at the sunlight glinting on the stream. Now I offer that, she said humbly. But I don't love you, I said honestly, and instantly knew that it was the worst thing I could have said just then. Starling sighs, sets her harp aside, says, I know that, you know that, but it was not a thing that had to be said just now. <laughs> and Fitz is like, I know that now, it's just that I don't want any lies unspoken or unspoken. And I think that line of I don't want any lies spoken or unspoken is part of the pain that he feels from Molly saying Mm -hmm. that Fitz said he loved me, but his lies didn't feel like love. Yeah. Which, boy, wouldn't it be great if he could have, like, really learned from that, had time to mature with those feelings and think about what that really means instead of just, like, childishly just being like, I'm never telling a lie to a woman again. (laughs) That's what she meant. Like, no. (laughs) (laughs) She stops his sentence with a kiss. And says, I'm a minstrel. I know more about lying than you will ever discover. And minstrels know that sometimes lies are what a man needs most in order to make a new truth of them. Starling, I began. You know you will just say the wrong thing, she told me. So why don't you be quiet for a time? Don't make this complicated. Stop thinking, just for a while. And actually, it was quite a while, Fitz says. A little says. humble brag. Oh, hmm. <laughs> They fall asleep, and when he wakes up, Night Eyes is there as well, and Fitz is like, go away, because saliva falls on his arm. And Night Eyes says, the others are calling you and looking for you. I could show Ketrickin where to find you. (laughs) Right. And that gets Fitz up. He's like, okay. All right, we're putting clothes on. He asks if something is wrong, and Night Eyes replies, no, they're just getting ready to wake the dragon. Verity wishes to tell you goodbye. I shook Starling gently. Wake up, or you will miss Verity waking the dragon. She stirred lazily. For that, I shall get up. I can think of nothing else that would stir me. Besides, it may be my last chance at a song. Fate has ruled that I always be elsewhere whenever you do something interesting. I had to smile at that. So, you will make no songs about chivalry's bastard after all, I teased her. One, perhaps. A love song. She gave me a last secret smile. That part, at least, was interesting. Gets to his feet, 
and Night Eyes is there whining, and she is startled at his presence, and Night Eyes stretched and bowed low to her. When she turned back to me, her eyes were wide. I warned you, I told her. She only laughed and stooped to gather up our clothes. So that's the point right there that I mentioned that Starling is also much more accepting of who Fitz is and that connection with Night Eyes. Right. Having traveled with him for so long. Fitz is definitely not happy this chapter. No. It's a really hard chapter to talk about. It's really sad. There's a lot of faucets of horribleness, I guess. And it's weird because I almost feel like this is what happens in this chapter is worse for Fitz than the dungeon in some ways, if only because while the dungeon may have been more painful and what happened was obviously horrible, that was by someone who he knew hated him. And this was stuff that happened to him directly from people that loved him. And I feel like there and he is, didn't allow himself time to heal. Even no. from the dungeon, he could have healed faster than he would have been able to without those memories. Yeah. And obviously he still has feelings from his time in the dungeon. I mean, he's putting away the horrible memory of his face being on the stone and the sound of his nose breaking. So those things are clearly still haunting him. I mean, it makes sense because how could you forget about those horrible things? But I just think it's this chapter is so sad and I mean, it makes me so sad. I don't know. And we're so close to the end. So it, I think my first time reading through this series, especially this trilogy, I'm like, whoa, how are we going to overcome that doozy of a chapter? We have two left. We, <laughs> I think, no, maybe three. Three. Three chapters left and the book is done. And I remember reading it, looking at that and being like, well, something really good must happen next because, <laughs> <laughs> because clearly we can't end on this horrible sour note. But Robin Hobb had a surprise in store for me. So, <laughs> so that is that is it. That is the chapter. Yeah. Thank you so much for tuning in, listening along with us. And if you have any comments or thoughts to share about any of this, please let us know. You can reach us at isfitshappy at gmail.com by email, or you can reach out directly on DMs or on comments of our posts on isfitshappy at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're also on Reddit with handle isfitshappy, so if you want to message us on there too, I'll try to reply. Thank you so much for tuning in and hope to see you next week. All right. Now time to talk about some of the things that our listeners have brought to our attention. We're going to talk about some comments we got on episode 102, which is for chapter 36, the wit and the sword. This chapter was about when Molly and Beric get away from Regal's people coming in to <laughs> take Nettle and maybe Molly. I guess they probably want to hurt Molly just to get back at Fitz, um, which is pretty poignant because it's what we're talking about kind of this episode. Uh, but also um, that answers one of the very first questions that I was going to talk about 
And that is from Sasha. Sasha commented asking why the people who come to get Molly would know that she was associated with Fitz. Like, what is the relation? Why are they able to know who she is? And I think that's a really good point. Something that I don't think that we really discussed of like who the people were coming in. Um, Like a little detail we left out is just that these are Regal's people. These are soldiers that are working through Regal. So they were sent specifically because of the information they got from the fool through that skill link, that skill joining. Right. And they, they did respond you know, where does your information come from? And he's like, it's from the highest source, which yes. is from Regal. Yeah. So it's not just random people in the village going after the hundred gold that they were offered. And if anybody could tell them any information about Fitz, um, which also is a good point that why would Regal put out a 100 gold? Like a bounty for a dead person? Yeah. How do people justify that? I have no idea. Well, they, he also put out a lot of, uh, there were a lot of rumors and there were a lot of things about that attack on him saying, yeah, wit beast magic. He's alive again. Kill him on sight, hundred gold if he's alive, whatever, you know? Right. So it was a lot of just like, he's evil magic person. That's fair. That's fair. I forgot Mm -hmm. that it was already spun into a new tale, but yeah. So that is answering the questions. Thank you, Sasha, for asking them. So we could clarify. (laughs) Um, I also wanted to make a quick comment about something Dagenhart had said that when Night Eyes calls Molly a most excellent bitch because of her bravery, that he pictures Bill and Ted, which gave me a good giggle because I love Bill and Ted (laughs) from Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. Yes. Yes. Most excellent. In the movie with Keanu Reeves, if you have not seen it and Alex Winter, I believe. Definitely watch it. Great 80s movie. <laughs> is it 80s or is it early? Ni- I don't know. Whatever. No, it doesn't it's matter. The 80s. <laughs> is it 80s? Okay. My mom watched it when she was a teenager. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, yeah. So it's a great, great movie. Anyway, so I just had to point that out because I love Bill and Ted. So I'm not going to hesitate to shout out. And finally, for Facebook, we have a really couple interesting points from Bastion. So. The first sort of proposal of a question from Bastion is wondering whether or not a witted person could bond with a group of eusocial animals, like bees that have hive minds, but also like ants or something else, anything mm-hmm. with hive minds. There are, I guess, groups of fish that also have sort of that yeah. hive mind, like And Bastion does mention that there is a story of a young witted person bonding with like a group of small birds or something. Yes. A flock of birds and kind of going insane from it. But that is a lot of individual minds. And Bastion's kind of curious about that hive mind uh, aspect. Right. And how if you like if you were to, for example, bond with bees like the, oh, queen, like the bee. queen bee yeah. with the hive mind. Would that be the same? Would it be different? Um, I do want to say, I think that there is mention that some animals are too dumb for the wit. I don't think that's I the think term. mentions that too. Just wondering if intelligence 
is kind of a limiting factor in that too. Yes. Which I, I agree with. with yeah. I'm with you on that one. There, I, I think it's directly mentioned by Fitz that like some animals just, there isn't that level of compatibility of intelligence. Like they, I feel like insects are a no go. Right. In my mind, at least they don't have like enough capacity to hold. Arachnids are obviously a different thing though, because there is a woman who is bonded to a spider. Yeah, that's true. So maybe, but that's not an insect. So I will say they do point out that um, one of the things is that we like kind of use as intelligent marker could be like looking in a mirror and recognizing yourself. However, bees actually do seem to recognize themselves in mirrors as their own, whereas like apes and dolphins don't, which apes and dolphins are usually seen as pretty smart and bees are not. And so they're like clearly... There is some level of intelligence there that is above that of other animals. Yeah. So I, I, with that being said, I don't think that's a good litmus test for it. That's fair. I will say I misspoke. It's not bees. It's ants that were able to recognize mm. themselves in a mirror. Some ants. Some ants. Ooh, the smart ones. Yes. No, I, I truly, like, for my thoughts on it, I don't think you can bond to insects. I don't think a hive mind would work because it wouldn't be a cooperative thing. It would be, like, you directing things around. I, I just think it would be too messy in your head, similar to, you know, that flock of birds. It seems that more than one animal is just too debilitating to your brain brain's comprehension of what's going on and it might be possible to connect with them with the wit at some sort i just don't think they have the mental capacity or want to actually reach out and connect with another human right i will say though the idea of bonding with ants is giving me big um ant-man vibes like <laughs> true <laughs> i true. recently watched that for the first time so that's like probably what's why it's coming to mind where they all like reuse the mind control helmet to build things um so maybe that would be cool but i don't i think the line even though we just talked i think last episode about how robin hobb kind of gives this ambiguity ambiguity to how magic works in her systems that this seems to be a line that yeah. like there i don't know we don't have any examples of it so i guess we can't hard line say yes or no i would say no just because i hate the idea of somebody being able to call upon like a million beetles or something like from the desert <laughs> just call up a plague real quick <laughs> i don't know anyway so that's just a thought that i had um when thinking about that so that's our opinions i guess if anybody has a different opinion i'd love to hear it um and then also Bastion wanted to say that symbiosis is actually just a term for living together between two different species, and it doesn't really matter if one of them is benefiting, benefiting the other, and yeah. the other one is not. Um, it doesn't matter. It's still symbiosis. In that particular episode, episode... 102. One, yeah, 102. <laughs> I had said that there was a symbiotic relationship between, I think, Fitz and Night Eyes. 
No, I, I don't remember. We were discussing something and one of the two of us corrected the other and it was apparently a wrong correction. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it is good to know. Yes. That the meaning behind symbiotic relationships, because I, feel like I wasn't I, clear on. I feel like I might have said like, oh, no, it's not symbiotic because one of them's not benefiting. benefiting. Yeah. Yes. So uh, Bastian corrected us saying that. It doesn't have to be both of them benefiting. It just means they are living, you know, together in a some sort of relationship. And then there are other categorizations that further break that down to like, you know, a parasitic or whatever it is. Mutualism or common common solicism. <laughs> I'm really bad at reading out loud. That's Co- close enough. Common. The common one. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for that correction. Thank you. And they did point out that it might it, it might sound nitpicky, but the only way to learn is to let people know. And so yeah. that's why I wanted to include it, because I didn't know. I don't think Luke knew either. And so if anything, we can say we're an educational podcast. <laughs> so thank you, Bastion. And thank you to everybody who commented. And last but not least, we have a message from Amir on Instagram covering a couple things, a couple topics. And one was, the first one is about the elderlings and skill. We were talking, we had a discussion about where did skill come from? Were the elderlings skilled? How did they create things? All that good stuff. And Amir thinks that they did have some base level of skill. They they could skill as magic users, but that has been lost throughout the years. And the new ones, the new dragon keepers the new elderlings don't know that didn't understand it and that's why they were surprised at fits when he first came to them that's why there was the whole thing of like wow you can do this without a dragon and all that sort of stuff so that is an interesting thought and i i like it except for the fact that shouldn't there be memories of that somewhere So I was thinking this, too. That was my initial knee-jerk reaction. But then I thought that potentially the reason that there isn't any memories is just because they haven't been there long enough to find the memories. I mean, this is a small group of people and they are looking at a small amount of memories. And it's also only two people looking at two specific people's memories. Alice was also looking through a lot of the the rubble, too. But yeah, I, I get what you mean. Yeah. So like... Maybe within time they could find somebody who did know. And but that learn. is like when Fitz goes there, that's like 40 years later. <laughs> that's in the last trilogy when he goes there and helps them yeah, out. 40 years from now, not right. 40 years from when they go there. Yeah, that's they, true. The trilogy before the final trilogy is the one where they're going. And the it, quadrology. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but. I don't know. Like they've only they haven't made that much advancement since he was there. And I mean, Malta was pregnant whenever she was last like in the end of that quadrology. And she has a small toddler when Fitz gets there. I don't think he's a toddler. Efren, I, I think he speaks to them. He like actually oh, so goes like to the eight. table and says like, thank you and stuff. I think this is like four to eight. Yeah, so I, I would say at least five years. Yeah, so like not mind. 40 years. <laughs> so they still, I mean, it's a big city. Right, yeah, yeah. So I'm just thinking it would, I, I feel like it would be more prevalent or more important if some of them could skill. 
because it's not a widespread thing. It's not like everybody could, but there are important buildings there, you know, and I know they did scrub some knowledge out of things. So that could have been one of the things that they purposely did not record right. anywhere, but I don't know. Some of the other things that Amir brings up is the archaeology discussion that we have or that we had about the remains of, you know, elderlings and elderling cities and grave robbing versus archaeology <laughs> and things like that. And Amir brings up that we kind of started in the 18th century when we started excavating and it all kind of came down to a purpose and the specific tools that we had. And that's why we kind of started digging things up. It was after various scientific advancements and it was still mostly grave robbing and like trying to collect artifacts. But as you, as that profession was around for a while, it became more rigorous and more scientific because they're like, oh, these are actually things we can collect and want to learn more about. So it started kind of with grave robbing and then. Yes, it morphed, morphed into what it is today, which yes. is more of like cataloging and archiving and learning from civilizations mm -hmm. from where they are. And does make a mention as well that they have castles and buildings from 1500 to 2000 years ago that are fairly solid and don't need to be uncovered. So with that in mind, my, my timeline of everything happening is even more messed up and wisdom is like so far in the past. <laughs> That tapestries shouldn't really be around if they're just kind of hanging in a castle and not preserved. And I don't know. There, there's a lot of timeline issues in my mind with that because that whole village is kind of just gone minus a few like foundations and tipped over skill stones and stuff that they see right. on the skill road. But Kelsen grows pretty much untouched because it's a skill city. I don't know. It's, to be it's fair, a little weird. To be fair, though location that that city is in seems pretty like heavy in dampness and i feel like water can yeah. destroy things faster so like true obviously i don't know where the castles are that are still standing that are two thousand years old so i can't like make a great i mean i think scotland would i have guess some. yeah the, scotland feels like it's a pretty moist country <laughs> sorry you heard it here folks <laughs> All you Scots out there just live in a moist country. <laughs> Thank the you. The worst word. Sorry. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> but it's an interesting uh, thing to bring up. And yeah, I don't know. Like, a good reminder of history. But I just it just doesn't I, make sense in her world for yeah. me then. I do also want to say that that's castles and not like small right homes yeah. but they're i mean they're, i'm sure there are buildings that are that small too that that are small that are that old you know yeah potentially i just think that it'd be easier for like a smaller building to disappear in time yeah yeah rather than like a big castle yeah yeah i don't know also i feel like castles are more fortified than homes although i have no basis on that as someone who has never built a home in the medieval times or now <laughs> i have no idea or a castle for that matter so i thought you were a very experienced contractor i huh. am a mason <laughs> yes interesting well thank you so much amir for those uh, clarifications and the thought on the elderlings with the skill yes thanks everyone we can't wait to hear what you have to say next week 